Welcome to Confessions of a Realtor. As an active, full-time realtor serving Tallahassee and the surrounding areas since 2014, it was time to use my experience to educate consumers on the whys and hows behind the home buying and home selling processes. We'll have some fun, I'll share some crazy real estate stories, and keep you informed on realtors' best kept secrets. Why? Because when you're informed, you can make empowered decisions. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome to another episode of Confessions of a Realtor. Today's topic, we are going to jump into five real estate agent myths. So these are things that I've pulled from conversation with people in my circle. So whether that be clients, whether that be friends, whether that just be someone that I talk to once at a party. So I'll bring all of these together for you. And as usual, we're just going to jump right into things. Myth number one, and this one is for the home sellers, open houses sell homes. They do not sell homes, y'all. Open houses are a great way for whatever agent who is hosting the open house to pull in buyers, to pull in people who are looking for their next home and maybe they're around that price point. Maybe they need some guidance to figure out what price point they need to be in. Statistically speaking, open houses really only sell homes about 2% of the time. So where is your effort best spent? Your effort is best spent in making sure that you hire a great agent who has a proven marketing plan that leans heavily on the digital aspect of things. Particularly as we are still kind of around COVID times, people have definitely gotten more used to seeing things virtually and to looking at things online and to making decisions based on what they view online and then using that, what they see online, to be able to go and schedule a viewing of the home. I've even sold houses to people that the first time that they've seen it has been the day of closing and we've just done everything virtually whether it be online or through FaceTime. So basically, buyers, when you're looking at selling your home, you need to understand that buyers are always, always going to trust what their eyes see first to be able to figure out what decisions that they want to make after this. It is about 88% of homes that are found in some way, shape, or form online as opposed to 2% when it comes to open houses. So that is myth number one. Myth number two, if my credit score is higher than my friends who purchased a house, I must be able to get a lower interest rate. Now, this is kind of one that I know maybe people don't want to discuss or don't want to confront that this is how they think sometimes. But I know for a fact that I have had clients who they had someone who they know maybe had more of my financial struggles who purchased at a different time in the market and they got a better interest rate than them. And so they see it as well. My credit score and my financial profile are so much better. Why am I being offered this different rate? To understand that, you have to understand what determines your interest rate. Interest rate is largely determined by the Fed. The Fed, depending on what inflation is doing, depending on what the housing market is doing, will deliberately slow down the housing market by increasing interest rates so that fewer buyers are willing to go out and look at properties 
or alternatively, if they want to encourage activity in the housing market, they will deliberately lower the average interest rate. If you use the rate that the Fed determines as your baseline, then you understand it really is so dependent on the time that you purchase in the market. If you purchase at a time where let's say that the Fed has determined that the average interest rate is 4%, depending on your credit score, you're going to be a little bit lower than that. Depending on your credit score, you're going to be a little higher than that. So it's not necessarily comparing person to person. It's more so comparing the time in the market that you're purchasing to somebody else's time in the market that they are purchasing. Just a little bit of a story. I had a client who had a bankruptcy and I have worked several times with clients who have had bankruptcies. It does not mean that you cannot own your home. It just means that a lot of times you'll have to wait what lenders call a seasoning period to be able to purchase a home. So depending on the loan that you're getting, they may want you to wait anywhere from two to four years after your bankruptcy to be able to purchase a home because they want to take a look at what you're doing with your finances. Have you built your credit score back up? Have you taken care of some of those behaviors outside of you or even internal that have led to you needing to file for bankruptcy? So I had a client who literally purchased a home about two years to the day that she filed her bankruptcy or she went and got pre-approved about two years and a day after her bankruptcy. She qualified immediately at that time for a 2.5% interest rate. Why? Because she bought at a time when the Fed had decreased the interest rate so much because they were trying to encourage activity in the housing market. Now you can take someone with a similar profile. And from what my lenders say, they may be able to get a 5.5. They may be able to get a 6. In 2014, I remember that there were products being offered for loans that you were automatically at 8% if you had a bankruptcy. So a lot of times you have to see that, hey, this is the time in the market that I'm looking at. It's not necessarily a comparison of your finances to someone else's finances. Myth number three is that we realtors know why the other side is moving. And I would say that this question comes up probably most frequently when I'm showing houses with buyers. And a lot of times they'll ask, well, why is the seller moving? And they're looking for something that would turn them off from the property a lot of times. And sometimes they're just looking for information that can give them a leg up in negotiations. Sellers also ask this question a lot of times. If they do ask this question, it's more so maybe they're slightly offended by an offer that they got and they're looking for a reason to kind of wrap their heads around, well, why would someone make this offer? But sometimes people just ask because they want to know when they're curious. It is actually a ethical violation for either side. So me as a realtor to discuss against my clients with another realtor why they are moving. And the reason why it is an ethical violation is because it does exactly what you as buyers and sellers think that it does. It gives the other party a leg up in negotiation. Even something that a lot of times clients see as being innocent to discuss, a lot of times that can be turned against you in negotiation. For example, I had buyers last year that placed an offer on a property And the agent called me about the offer. We're discussing the offer, you know, going over the terms and everything. 
And I did not ask her why her clients were moving, okay? Even though it's not an ethical violation for me to ask, it would be an ethical violation for her to answer. Real estate ethics are weird. But she offered that, hey, my people are divorcing. They just want this done. It's a very painful time for them, yada, yada, yada. You know, so she just kept on talking. And so then what was I able to use that information for in order to be able to get my buyers a better deal on the house? We knew that we could come in a little bit lower. We knew that, hey, they aren't emotionally invested in this house like a lot of sellers are. We can put in a lower offer on this house than maybe we were thinking about doing because we had that bit of information. So typically we cannot disclose why our clients are moving. That is something that is considered a violation. Now, when the question is asked, My default answer is, oh, they just decided to move. And that's all the information that I'm going to give about my client because I know that it will work against them when it comes down to negotiation. It may not be at the front when we're negotiating the contract, but negotiation goes all the way to the closing table. And that leads us into myth number four is that the initial negotiations are the only negotiations. I always tell my clients that until documents are signed at the closing table, you are still negotiating. Now, I would say a very common point where we negotiate is when the inspections come back for the buyer. You know, the buyer may ask for some repairs to be done. They may ask for some money off of the purchase price. They may ask for, you know, some money to be able to do their repairs themselves after closing, right? But there is also other negotiations that can happen all the way up until the day of closing. On one of my most recent transactions, our buyer was supposed to pay his closing costs. This was something that we had gone over in the initial consultation. He understood it. However, with the new construction time frame, his finances changed. And when his finances changed, he felt more comfortable asking the seller for closing costs. Now, we explained to him that, hey, you know, you're under contract, let's say at $295, you are asking for $5,000 in closing costs. They're probably just going to add that to the purchase price so that the numbers on their side don't change. So what that means on our end is a $300,000 purchase price. And then the builder had agreed to pay $5,000 in closing costs. But that was still a last minute negotiation. And that was a straightforward last minute negotiation. The documents, if they are not signed at the closing table, consider the fact that negotiation is still open. It does not stop when you place the contract. It does not stop once you get past your inspection period. Up until the day of closing when documents are signed, that is when negotiations are finally over. The fifth myth that I hear is that all agents are the same. I just looked it up today because it's been a while, of course, since I had to do any pre-licensing courses or pay for any initial fees or anything like that. You can get a license to sell someone's largest investment, their home in the state of Florida, for right about $1,000. So if you have $1,000, if you have a clean background, if you're able to be fingerprinted, If you're willing to go through the course to be able to get your license and pass the test that you need to take, you can sell real estate. Now, I know myself and a few other agents who have been in the business a while, 
We personally feel as though the standard for real estate and the standard for keeping your real estate license need to be higher. It would honestly be great if we kept our license based on the number of transactions that we did or if there was more required mentorship when it comes to real estate. There is a very real and tangible impact to the buyer or the seller who uses an experienced agent. On the seller side, you typically are going to negotiate stronger when you have the backing of experience because you know what comfortably you can do, what the buyer may be asking for of the seller that isn't really a requirement, and what the buyer's lender is going to require. All of these things are learned with experience. On the buyer side of things, working with an experienced agent often means that you get access to other vendors in the process, inspectors, title companies, who are able to honestly give your client a higher level of service because you're the one that is making the introduction versus a new agent that they just don't know yet. We had a transaction. It was the last day of 2021, December 31st, 2021. The seller would not grant our buyer an extension. The title company had already closed for the day because they had closed at noon because December 31st is New Year's Eve. So they were closed early because it was the holiday. The lender had messed up and it wasn't one of our lenders, thankfully. It was an outside lender who was an out-of-town lender, didn't live in the area. And some things had happened with their file and put everyone behind because we were waiting on the lender to give us the last little bit of information that we needed. They finally gave us the information and it was three o'clock. So what did we immediately do? Started texting the title agent's personal phone, started texting the title agent's daughter, started texting the title agent's friend. These were relationships that were had and we were able to get the title company to reopen. We were able to get the title representative to close out the file. The lender still was figuring some numbers and whatnot out. It was a two-hour closing, which typically closings are about half an hour to 45 minutes. So it was a longer closing, but we were able to get the title company to reopen because of our relationship with them. Had we not been able to do that, the contract expired on December 31st. The seller, like I said, was not willing to give our buyer an extension, even though it wasn't their fault. Our buyer had young children and they literally had nowhere to go on New Year's Eve. So that is a very tangible thing that thankfully we were able to get accomplished for our clients because of the relationships that we had built with vendors, particularly right now, the title company that we were using. So these are real tangible benefits that not every agent is going to be able to get you. And it may sound a little crazy, but I promise you it is the truth. Don't believe me yet? There was one seller that I had who was an attorney. And this seller, being an attorney, he was very, of course, very black and white, very what does the contract say? And honestly, he wasn't wrong for that. So we go under contract with this buyer and the buyer's agent is a newer agent and the buyer eventually wanted to terminate the contract simply because she found a better house. So the buyer's agent put on our termination form that the buyer wanted to get out of the contract because they found a different house that they liked better and then also wanted their deposit returned to them. 
the seller knew that that wasn't a legal reason to get out of the contract. There are a few legal reasons that buyers can get out of a legally binding contract when you're purchasing and selling real estate, but that was not one of them. And so even though they terminated within their first 15 days, which typically it's fairly easy to get your earnest money deposit back, because they put the wrong reason on the termination form, the seller refused to return their deposit and kept the deposit because that is something that he legally could do. That agent's inexperience literally cost her client a few thousand dollars. I say all of this to illustrate the point that all agents are not the same. A lot of people think that all that we do is open doors and put signs in yards. And that is definitely part of our job description. But really, our real value add is guiding people through the largest investments of their lives. And so you want your agent to have experience. A lot of real estate is what you say and when you say it and what you put in writing. It takes a lot of time to be able to know how to navigate that. Every single transaction is not straightforward. In fact, I would say that most are not straightforward and there is something that needs to be renegotiated. There is some sort of conflict that happens to be able to get to the closing table. You need an agent with experience and you want them to have experience in the current market that you are looking to buy or sell in. If the last house that they sold is nine months ago, I can guarantee you that we are in a different market and it has likely shifted. So you need someone who has relevant experience to what you are trying to accomplish. As usual, I will leave you with a quote. Today's is from Oprah Winfrey. She says, life is about finding yourself, embracing your strengths and weaknesses, and being true to who you are. I look forward to y'all tuning in next week. That's it for today's episode of Confessions of a Realtor. If you're looking for an active, full-time agent in the Tallahassee or surrounding areas, feel free to give me a call or shoot me a text at 850-206-2199. If you're thinking about moving and want some more real estate tips and tricks and education, my Instagram page, Rachel Sells Homes 850 is very active, and I do my best to educate on our local market. Check out the link in the bio on my Instagram page to schedule your own complimentary consultation with me or to refer someone else who you know is thinking about buying or selling. Thank you for tuning in, and I look forward to assisting you here in the Tallahassee area.